DiscerningHearts.com presents St. John of the Cross, Master of Contemplation, with Father Donald Haggerty. Father Haggerty is a priest of the Archdiocese of New York who serves at St. Patrick's Cathedral. He taught moral theology and worked as a spiritual director in seminaries for 20 years. He has directed numerous yearly retreats for the missionaries of charity. He's the author of Contemplative Provocations, The Contemplative Hunger, Conversion, Contemplative Enigmas, and St. John of the Cross, Master of Contemplation, the book on which this series is based. St. John of the Cross, Master of Contemplation, with Father Donald Haggerty. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. Father Haggerty, thank you so much for joining me once again. Thank you, Chris, for having me. We're going to undertake a conversation about a spiritual practice that is really necessary in the life of the Christian, and yet it is one that many of us haven't really grasped or maybe understand or maybe never even heard of, asceticism. Yes, asceticism, which has a long tradition in the church and perhaps in Christianity and is present in the gospel and is a necessity for a spiritual life that has any uh, seriousness. It might be initially that we could say that the reason why sometimes that's a foreign word or you know, a concept that is not well known is because often it might be thought the synonym of penance in one's life, or that it's a Lenten practice to do perhaps some ascetical things. But asceticism goes back in the church, surely to the time of the Desert Fathers, who lived, you know, lives of great deprivation in the deserts of Egypt and Syria, after the persecutions of Christians ended in the first decades of the 300s. And they lived very ascetical lives, meaning, you know, they ate very little, they uh, lived in the heart you know, climate of a desert. They lived the first monastic lives of solitary prayer and silence with God. And they did, you know, live, you know, difficult lives in regard to physical um, deprivation and, and renunciations. And so that certainly got into the understanding of what it meant to give one's life entirely to God, that We need a dimension in our life that does temper down the possibility of indulgent seeking after sense pleasure, not just in in sinful ways, but also, you know, to live a sacrificial life in which the bodily life is not consuming, you know, too much interest and be not so much uh, disdained at all, but be treated as a, not an impediment to spiritual life, but that it's not meant to be a rival to our life with God. So something of asceticism is maybe introduced in in that, you know, in those thoughts. Yeah, I think it's, as we said, a practice that we are not necessarily encouraged to undertake in our culture. I'd like to think that we hear that within the context of the Gospels, but that outside of that realm, Everything around 
helped us, encourages us to seek out what brings pleasure to us. I mean, that can happen from the taking in of delicious food, a hamburger commercial, (laughs) or and how it will make us so happy, or uh, getting the latest car or having the latest experience. I mean, it's it's a very much a pleasure-seeking type of atmosphere we're living in, isn't it? Well, that's quite true. And, you know, and that would be true, certainly for religious, for priests, you know, in seminary life, you know, we do have, and it's always been true, perhaps in, in life, you know, even in the desert, you know, there might have been, you know, certain uh, water, you know, that could be more tasty, or, you know, we know that John the Baptist lived a, an ascetical life in the desert in preparation for the coming of our Lord. And as I mentioned in the book, you know, he, he ate his grasshoppers and lizards, but he also, you know, ate honey in the, de- in the desert when he could find it. The possibility of being indulgent in our preferences, you know, is one of the realities of spiritual life. And it's not just the bodily question, but asceticism usually begins with this question of how do I live my bodily life so that it's not indulgently, you know, going to excesses and just, you know, pleasing oneself and, and, and perhaps going, you know, beyond just pleasing oneself in food or in drink and in, in sleep, you know, things that are not necessary to, to do in excess. So the, you know, the idea of ascetical life, which certainly was very much part of religious life training for centuries and the background of traditional religious life would always be to place people in circumstances where they have to temper down and live a more disciplined life you know certain rigors of renunciation and that was common you know in the jesuits and the franciscans and the carmelite convents and and just in general in fact in diocesan seminaries you know that would have been common but i think in our own current day even the church itself, you know, seems to have not dismissed, but to play down and minimize the importance of, you know, bodily um, discipline in that manner. So as an example, that, you know, the church is teaching its instruction on fasting in Lent, you know, which is required, you know, only on Ash Wednesday and Good Friday. But fasting is called, you know, eating one full meal, and then the other two meals, not equaling one full meal. Well, if you ask the Desert Father, you know, what that would be like, or, you know, even older religious life, that wouldn't sound like fasting. When I lived in Ethiopia for four years, and it's, it's un, not uncommon for people in Ethiopia to eat one meal a day. They say they're fasting all the time, and, and to an extent that's not even known in the West. So, the idea is not, you know, to cause pain, you know, bodily to our life. The real idea of asceticism is is kind of training and discipline to take hold of the desire then of the person to give more fully to God, so that we're not creating rivals to our our self gift to God. So it's part. It's it's a part of the spiritual life. And because we are, as human persons, we're body and soul. So how we live with our body is certainly going to play into our relationship with God. 
I'm so glad you brought up the Desert Fathers because there's another John, St. John Cassian, who in his writings would talk about the ladder of sin, essentially. Uh, I'm paraphrasing it, the vices that you think of the those on the top, whether it's pride and anger and envy and, and all those things on the top of that ladder. And we can feel we are detaching ourselves from all those things. But at the very, very bottom rung of that ladder is gluttony. And if you can't eat fast, if you cannot say no, and just to reject that, the enemy will always have a hook in you there will be that attachment because it is at that very, very level, we can't let go. Something else is controlling us. And again, in our society right now, just as you said, the example of of not being able to enter in even to a basic fast. I mean, there, there are a lot of detachments, the food element in some cultures where there seems to be such an abundance of food, we find ourselves unable to even say no. Well, it's very true. And and the problem could be, you know, not really thinking about it. So it's not really even a test in one's life. We may be, it's not just, you know, eating too much, you know, spiritual life is not going to focus all on how much in quantity we eat, but the problem of just doing what I like, you know, or eating what I like, but then that extends over into other areas. You know, I do what I want to do. You know, you who have had children, I think you know how important it is that uh, a young child has to learn how to say no and how to say yes. And if they if they simply are allowed in, in some manner to, um, you know, just, just, you know, say no to everything they want to say no to in that moment and and not be refused, that child is, doesn't just become a spoiled child, that, that child can be damaged. And then that leads into an, an adulthood that might be self-indulgent in different ways. But the, you know, with, with John of the Cross, he's not teaching asceticism throughout his four treatises, but he does spend time on this subject in the very beginning of the his, his first book of the Ascent of Mount Carmel. There are three books within that treatise. And he has, you know, strong teaching on the importance of mortification, you know, of renunciation of the appetites, and essentially not just to prove ourselves to ourselves, you know, like a person trying to run a mile, you know, maybe for the first time after not exercising, not just to prove, you know, the person to themselves, but to gain a certain self-possession, an ability to say yes, to say no, you know, and, and that's crucial in the life of virtue. We have to be able to say no to sin. Some of these are bodily temptations. Some are, are, are of grave matter, you know, and the ability to, you know, not be led simply by our preference or the, you know, the temptation of the, of the moment, you know, that's, that's a crucial thing. So some aspect of asceticism you know i remember when i was teaching in the seminary it's a little bit of a funny story but uh, one priest who's still a good friend and i sent this book to him just recently and he's 20 years a priest now but occasionally over the years he laughingly will remind me of our first minutes together and he had come to me in the seminary 
and he wanted to have spiritual direction. He was asking about it because I was giving spiritual direction to, to students. And he is in his first year, and he said, you know, within two minutes, you asked me, do you use a snooze alarm in your alarm clock? Do you use the snooze alarm? And um, at that time, I guess occasionally I was asking that question because I explained to him in that time, and I still believe this, that when you hit the snooze alarm, that's not, you know, a high level asceticism. It's not denying ourselves food. But when you hit the snooze alarm, your first act of the day, even in a sleepy, you know, half asleep manner, that your first act in the day then has been a, a kind of withdrawal to a self-indulgent choice instead of like an old re- religious life, you know, or if you're in the Marines, if you're in the military, when the bell goes off, you get up, you're out, out of the bed right away. And, you know, in religious life, you're on your knees right away. You get right out. So those kind of practices are not just that, you know, bodily training or kind of military approach to spiritual life, but they're, they're training the will to be more open then to very full yeses to God and also no, I'm not going to give in to myself, you know, in, in this. So the aspect of asceticism does play into all of spiritual life. And John of the Cross, when he's teaching this, you can get a sense when you've read him, you know, for a long time that that early section in the Ascent of Mount Carmel is a preliminary to many of the principles that will come later, which also require a self-denying approach to the demands that God asks of us in our interior life and in the life of charity. We'll return to St. John of the Cross, Master of Contemplation with Father Donald Haggerty in just a moment. Discerning Hearts provides content dedicated to those on the spiritual journey. To continue production of these podcasts, prayers, and more, go to discerninghearts.com and click the donate link found there or inside the free Discerning Hearts app to make your donation. Thanks and God bless. Did you know that Discerning Hearts has a free app in which you can find all your favorite Discerning Hearts programming? Father Timothy Gallagher, Dr. Anthony Lillis, Deacon James Keating, Mike Aquilina, Dr. Matthew Bunsen, and so many more are found on the Discerning Hearts free app. Did you also know that you can stream Discerning Hearts programming on numerous streaming platforms such as Apple Podcasts, Google Play, iHeartRadio, Pandora, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, and so many more. And did you know that Discerning Hearts also has the YouTube page? Be sure to check out all these different places where you can find Discerning Hearts. We now return to St. John of the Cross, Master of Contemplation, with Father Donald Haggerty. Well, I think you really clearly bring that forward in the book, St. John of the Cross, Master of Contemplation, because you bring forward, as St. John of the Cross would understand, that that self-denial is an act of the will, and that it's really a taming as it were, of your will, 
we talk about so often the actions of the enemy again and of the world. This, there's the constant temptation. More often than not, it's going to be something that looks very attractive, very pleasurable. And if we can't even begin to tame not only our, our base desires, but our intellect, what are we focusing on? What's our goal? What is it that we desire most? And to tame that will of ours, we can be in, in big trouble, can't we? Well, it's very true. And you know, it's a good thought too to, to be able to uh, realize that you know, the capacity to say no to things and some of them are temptations to sin. You know, some of them are bodily aspects of sin. So the capacity to say no is also, if you reverse that coin, you know, is also becoming then a capacity to say great yeses to God and to the demands that he will ask of us, you know, as we go on in life. So the person of you know, really of generosity in their life, the generous person in marriage, you know, the generous mother and father with children, there's no way that those people are that generous, unless they have also said no to many other things. You know, it, it always reminds me, sometimes I say it, if I'm, if I'm doing a wedding, I make mention, you know, to the couple, you know, you're choosing your wife, you're choosing your husband for life. And then I say to the congregation, perhaps, you know, we really have to honor that, because it is a great and beautiful thing, that they're also saying no, that no one else, you know, will come between myself and my love for my spouse. So these great, you know, to say a great yes, has behind it also, you know, the ability to say this great no, no more will I have another, you know, pursuit of another woman in my life. The aspect of asceticism can seem small next to that kind of choice, but it's part of that package, so to speak. It's why, you know, in the centuries of religious life, certainly, you know, that was just accepted as a norm, you know, as part of how you had to live you know, some aspect of renunciations that were daily in one's life. And not to be penitential necessarily, but to be controlled. Sometimes people might, you know, look at that and say, that's too much under the, it's too much self-focused, you know, even Pelagian, you know, because you, you can choose and control in a way what you, what you do in self-denial. But it's, we can assume that God, if we, if we do these things also with a desire to please God, that we're not just working out or, you know, doing these things for the sake of, you know, arriving at some standard, but doing them to please God, to make ourselves more accessible to his requests as life continues, then, you know, asceticism ha does have a a very key value in spiritual life. It really gave me a pause once again when you had in the book that wonderful quote from the Sermon on the Mount where uh, Jesus says, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And I think that's really, it's about a paradigm of the heart. I, I have to confess to you, Father Haggerty and everybody out there, there have been times when I tried in that the church's desire for us to begin to un enter into this 
through a Lenten practice of fasting. My my treasure, my goal was to lose weight. I thought, well, if I did this, this is going to help me lose weight too. And I found that the treasure of attaining that weight loss really eclipsed the treasure of trying to please God in that self-denial so that when I attained that amount of loss, even if it was the same time Lent had concluded or just shortly thereafter, I could say, well, I don't have to practice that anymore because I attained that goal. But what was my original goal? You know, was it to unite my will and to do honor to God or was it to, to lose the weight? Now that's a conviction on my part. I'm not trying to imply that that's the way other people approach it, but it is it speaks more about what the desire of our heart, isn't it? I mean, that that's most important. And it's, um, it's very, you know, human, like what you're recounting there. And, and I, I think maybe that topic requires some effort to refine it, you know, because we could practice, certainly athletes, you know, do these things, they practice their own, you know, form of asceticism, but it's not for God, you know, they have other reasons. So the motivation behind what we do, you know, why we do things, but that extends to, to everything we could, we can do many things I can preach for the sake of self-exaltation. If I, if I so choose as a priest, I can have different sullied, you know, motivations that uh, collapse, you know, what I'm, what we're doing. Sometimes it may look good on the surface, but it could be very self-focused. So, you know, and perhaps we can learn those things too in the practice of asceticism. I mean, it's good also to, with that subject to realize, I mean, my thought too, is there is, there are, when I use the terms, I just mean there's a kind of negative asceticism, meaning when you give up things. So like Lenten practices that you were mentioning, when you give up and deprive yourself of things and renounce things. And there's another type of asceticism too, physically and otherwise, where we do things that are very costly. So like a person who does begin, let's say they have been living a little bit, uh, you know, not taking care of their bodily life. And now they begin to go out and do, um, you know, I don't know, a two mile walk every day, if they were able to do that. And they start doing some, take on some exercise, or, you know, perhaps do something going to a, uh, a nursing home and you know, helping and, you know, the smell or whatever is, is, is repugnant to the senses. And they do these things um, as an act of love for God, but it's also costing the senses in some manner. You know, these things are always, you know, they're very good. And, you know, Mother Teresa's sisters, you know, live a very sacrificial life. They don't eat good food. You know, they, depending on where their country, what country they're in, they have a serious sacrificial life. You know, they get up at 440 in the morning every day. Physically, it's a sacrificial life, hard work and and what they're doing. And then they go out to the poor people. And that's also an element of ascetical life. Because you're also physically with the senses also facing, you know, difficult experiences, you know, in what's the smell in the in the sight of things, you know, the difficulties of um, engaging poor people, especially in third world countries. And all of that can be, in a sense, permeated by a desire 
for loving our Lord, you know, losing ourself in these practices. And that's, you know, that's what you're also getting at there when you mentioned about the Lenten fasting. If we can do these things, you know, to empty ourselves for love of our Lord, then good, we're on our way to another step forward in spiritual life. You bring forward the part of the quote again from the Ascent of Mount Carmel, where St. John of the Cross says that a soul makes room for God by wiping away all the smudges and smears of creatures, by uniting its will perfectly to God's, for to love is to labor to divest and deprive oneself for God of all that is not God. When this is done, the soul will be illumined by and transformed in God. It sounds so wonderful, but it is a difficult task for the person who has been called to live in a home and bring up children and try to provide for them what we hope is going to be a good, safe, beneficial lifestyle and to not overdo it in some cases, or think we have to continually give more to show them love. I, I don't mean to keep going on and on about that, but it can be a challenge, can it? Well, certainly what you're saying there um, is part of the you know difficulty living in the world and you know trying to live also a serious spiritual life. I mean, the quotation that you just um, mentioned that's a good example, though, in St. John of the Cross, where that has applications in basic aesthetical life. When he says creatures, you know, meaning created things, not to allow them to become idols of sorts in our life, that we are dominated by them. But it goes right down, so typical of John of the Cross, that something that has application in aesthetical life, in the just fundamental beginnings of life spiritually, has also great reach into the deeper um, realities of spiritual life, that we're not in pursuit of, you know, things of experience in the spiritual life, that we're really seeking God, you know, only you, Lord, and that that is be has become our great desire in life, that I want you and everything in, in life, in the marriage, for the sake of my children, in my case, and for the sake of my priesthood, I want this all for you. It's a very good thing you brought up there because how people relate to that question of raising children, the comforts of life, of course, people, um, we look around us and we would like a more easier life and you know, the desire for money today, as it's always been, that leads to a, a, a better life, it seems. But it's good to step back, you know, and sometimes ask that question. What does this do for my children? Are my children going to be helped to a greater spiritual sensitivity to God in the things that we have? And, you know, the great importance of leading children to a realization that, you know, there are these things we do have in life that's part of life. But on the other hand, that God is is the ultimate importance. You know, materialism is, is a problem, you know, in many, many lives, and many Catholic lives, perhaps. And the ambition to have a, a comfortable life, that can become, you know, something in tension with God himself. You've been listening to 
St. John of the Cross, Master of Contemplation, with Father Donald Haggerty. This series is based on the book, St. John of the Cross, Master of Contemplation, published by Ignatius Press. Visit Ignatius.com to obtain a copy, or you can find it at any fine Catholic bookstore. To hear and or to download this conversation, along with hundreds of other spiritual formation programs, visit DiscerningHearts.com, or you can find it within the free Discerning Hearts app. This has been a production of Discerning Hearts. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. We hope that if this has been helpful for you, that you will first pray for our mission, which is to offer authentic and rock-solid spiritual formation freely to souls around the world. And if you feel us worthy, consider a charitable donation, which is fully tax-deductible to help support our efforts. But most of all, we hope that you will tell a friend about discerninghearts.com And join us next time for St. John of the Cross, Master of Contemplation, with Father Donald Haggerty.